um i kept raising my hand like they kept announcing roles and i just kept raising my hand and i didn't get selected for anything and i remember there was the very last role it was for the role of merlin and the person finally picked me and they said do you know why we picked you and i was like why and they said it's because you kept raising your you hand kept raising your hand so like <laughs> that's something you might always raise your hand never stop you might yeah. get it Welcome back, everybody, to the Cameron A.B. Show. As always, my name is Cameron Albel-Brannigan, and today I was able to sit down with Shahana John, a multi-hyphenate artist um, who has done work spanning the entire globe. We sat down and we talked about her growing up, her childhood, her career, as well as advice for any creative person. Now, if any of you want to see the full interview, please go to YouTube, search Cameron AB, and you get to see every single interview that I have done with all my friends. So without further ado, please enjoy, and here is Shahana John. Hey guys, welcome to the Cameron AB show. Um, I'm sitting down with Shahana John. <laughs> um, uh, Shahana, why don't you tell a little bit about who you are, your backstory. I know it's complex and it spans many different places, but just in a nutshell, who are you? My name is Shahana. That <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's very strange for me to say. I'm still not used to it because I wasn't born Shahana. Oh, really? Yeah, I was born Natasha, actually. And oh. my name changed five times before it landed on Shahana from the ages. Like, the name changes started when I was six and they went on until I was ten. Um, I was born in Pakistan. Okay. I was born in the city of Peshawar. Um, and uh, I moved to America when I was one. My dad got the USAID scholarship. Um, so he... You know, they kind of decide where you go. He was studying to become a geologist, so we went to the University of Iowa. So I lived in Iowa, actually, from the age of one till I was, um, I want to say, eight? Yeah, I think I turned nine in Pakistan. After that, my dad finished. He did his master's and then his PhD. Um, and then we moved back to Pakistan. Um, so it's funny because I have two siblings that are U.S. citizens uh, because they were born here. And then myself and my elder sister are Pakistanis. Um, and a lot of people ask us, they're like, why are you not American? Because you lived, at, you know, over a certain number of years as a child. So right. you could you could apply for citizenship. But my father at the time was very, uh, I don't want to say patriotic, but he felt uh, very connected to his roots. And so he said that I want two of my children to be Pakistani and two of my children to be America, American. But in his defense, like this was pre 9-11, so he couldn't have imagined right. um, what that would eventually do. Right. Um, but as I grew up in Pakistan and it came down to like reaching a stage where I wanted to go to college, um, I remember just like telling him, I was like, thanks. Thanks for that. Because thanks. if I was a U.S. citizen, <laughs> it would have been so much easier um, yeah. and to afford as well. Because as an international student, if you're trying to come to America, your tuition is typically three times the amount of uh, that which is offered to U.S. citizens. Right. So, huh. And so how did that kind of play? OK, so backing up, 
how did acting get into the mix? Like, did well, you I think I, I hate to be the cliche, but I've always performed since I was a child. Yeah, that's it was just like it was. It's just something that came to me naturally. I I remember the first. I remember the first play I ever did. It was a community play from like a r- local rec center in Iowa. Um, it was a Christmas play. Um, and I remember it concretely because they were casting for it mm-hmm. and it was, I mean, it wasn't anything great, but like, it was the idea that, um, I kept raising my hand, like they kept announcing roles and I just kept raising my hand and I didn't get selected for anything. And I remember there was the very last role. It was for the role of Merlin and the person finally picked me and they said, do you know why we picked you? And I was like, why? And they said, it's because you kept raising your you hand. kept raising your hand. So like, <laughs> that's something to keep in mind. Always raise your hand. Never stop. You might yeah. get it. I felt very great because I was like, oh, my siblings ended up being peasants in the show while I had a role. Oh, well, um, look at that. But I ended up just, I kept through with that. Um, I think I was a shy kid, but there was something about performing that I really wanted to keep doing. And um, in Pakistan... In Pakistan specifically, I would say growing up, there was school theater, mm-hmm. like there were performances in school. Um, but at the time that I started, that was pretty much as far as one could go. Um, between 77 and 88, we had a uh, military dictator who had an extremely um, conservative religious um, take on life. And he enforced that very rigorously in the government. So a lot of our cinemas and our theaters um, were closed down. So it was only it was in the 90s in Pakistan. I feel like giving this context is important in the 90s in Pakistan. Go ahead. ahead. Things started. People were a part of the film and TV industry, Mm. but it was still deemed immoral. The industry was deemed immoral because that was just what we were coming off of um, historically. Um, It wasn't seen as something that you should legitimately look into. Not at all. Not at all. And it's also, I mean, there's a lot of complex reasons why it became that way, but um, a lot of the theaters that had been closed down, um, which used to showcase actual shows, um, because we had a very progressive time in the 70s and prior, actually, um, before that, they basically became these theater houses where they would showcase extremely vulgar shows. It was just, it was, they're called mudras. Um, and they're basically, um, where these companies will come, uh, where they've hired women to dress scantily clad and to wear, uh, to perform in extremely suggestive, provocative ways Hmm. to a a room that is full of men. Right. And it still Hmm. happens today too. Like I don't want to lie that and pretend it doesn't exist. It still exists, but it's definitely decreased. But the idea was that if you are in the theater, you're probably one of those women. Right. And so (laughs) when I started acting, um, it was in 2004, I mean, uh, professionally, professionally. Professionally. Yeah, I was in 2004. um, I had, there was this show that had just happened. Um, It was new. It was the first of its kind that I'd seen in Islamabad. And um, I was like, wow, what is that? It was the first time I'd seen anything on stage and um, that I had access to. And so then I auditioned for the next show that was happening and I got the part. um, And I was 16 
and um i remember i was i had gotten a full scholarship to a school it was an all-girls school um and i was i was finishing up my education and um when i was there they actually found out my mother got a call um from the principal and she said that um we found out that your daughter is on the stage at night oh god yeah it's on the stage at night and my mother said and opening night it like that yeah opening night had happened so i was on the stage on the stage and um people were concerned because uh, the principal basically said that other parents have concerns they hear that there's a girl on stage at night at our school and um they don't want that affecting their daughters of course um that sort of thing so she told my mother to tell me to leave the play or have my scholarship revoked um so my mother uh while she wasn't altogether supportive of my decision to be an actor and all at that at that time she didn't even think it was a decision she just thought i was doing something but um my mother comes we come from a breed of human beings that have a lot of pride Ah. so she was just she didn't have it so i left (laughs) school so i'd actually completed my education um privately um yeah i I passed my exams all on my own revoked it good for you um yeah and it's really funny because years later um the same school got in touch and wanted me to come back and direct a play for them and it's funny how that 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 happened and did you accept or decline the time i was too busy ah <laughs> gotcha that's <laughs> too busy. totally understand um, um yeah, but <laughs> that's great so um it sounds like you've been kind of uh, a, a, a person who kind of doesn't take what is conventionally around you and and i and guess i think i've always been like that a bit like yeah i just kind of not rebellious, but just like I'm gonna do what yeah, I want to do. Yeah, I don't. I don't really consider. Maybe when I was younger, I think maybe when I was younger, I I was very much like rebelling against things. Um, but I think before the rebellion, it simply comes from the idea of I looked at things differently and I continue to look at things differently. Like that doesn't that hasn't changed. No. The rebel might have died, but like the person in me hasn't. In that, in the sense that I still look at things differently. Um, I have a critical eye for things. Um, and it's weird to me because even today people will come up to me and tell me how nuanced my point of view might be or how they never thought of it that way. And and, and it's simply because of the number of people that tell me that, that I go like, that I, I've come to understand that I've always looked at things differently or I look at a different perspective right. that people are not obviously thinking of on a surface level. Um and that's just how I that's just how I am and that's how I always will be. I always think that it's not I don't try to be good, I just try to be real. You know, I don't look to be I don't maybe that's a thing. Like when I'm doing things or I'm trying to create things, I'm always trying to I remind myself, if you try actively to be good, then you you lose yourself in that. You know, you stop right. trying to be good. Try, just try to be real. Just because then be you're pandering to everybody else instead of kind of listening to what you want to do. No, I'm totally yeah, into, into yeah. that too. And the idea that, again, like if you're trying to do something that's good, you're doing it based off of someone else's idea of right. good. You know, and if you're doing that, you, it won't come from a real or truthful place. And more often than not, you know, I've, in my experience, when you try to do something from a real or truthful place, it ends up being, you know, good simply because uh, it 
it is appealing to other people's humanity you right. know and in that way people see a bit of themselves in what you're doing and that's what they relate to and it's funny because you know you're an actor who usually portrays points of view from other people and you kind of have to take someone else's voice and someone else's um, image and kind of make it your own. So it, it's, it's odd. We kind of have to live this duality where we're going to do what we want to do and how we want to do it. But then you have to take someone else's words and someone else's perspectives or even a producer's mm-hmm. point of view and make it your own. Um, how do you navigate that? Well, I think it definitely first comes down to the writing before listening to, I mean, different mediums have different um, methods, I guess. The theater is very different from film in terms of what whose vision you're working oh, with. Yeah, you absolutely. know, I think the theater is mainly about what is the writing saying? How are you bringing life to the scene? Film is more about the director's vision. Um, it's mainly about like, because the writing could be anything, but it's how the director chooses those shots that decides, you know, this conversation that we're having right now could, the material could be the same, but how you place your camera will decide right. how it feels. And like, how it's edited too. Yeah, you know? exactly. And that's, that's the film world or that's right. the television world and the theater. It's not that it's you and the words, right? right. Um, that's why they, they say that like the theater is mainly the actor's medium because that's the medium where we breathe the most. Right. We're carrying all of it. Um, you know, TV has become mainly a writer's or a showrunner's uh, world because it's about the showrunner's vision and what is the writing conveying. And film has and always will be the director's uh, world because they're the ones who are snipping it. They're the ones who are filming it. Absolutely. But I definitely think that as an actor, when it comes to navigating material, it first and foremost is about how do we attach ourselves to the writing? How do we bring the writing to life? And I, I mean, if I have to be perfectly honest, Go ahead. I did a lot of theater growing up. Like I said, I started professionally acting as an actor at 16. And then after that, I didn't stop. I just kept acting. Um, and I was fortunate enough to to get all these great roles and parts and um, do all these great shows. But because of the fact that I didn't have formal training, I had developed my own kind of way of um, of just dealing with a character. Or uh, And in Pakistan, there weren't a lot of... And there still aren't, to be honest. There still aren't, to my knowledge, a lot of um, acting um, facilities or to teach or to train. Um, there, there's some, but they're, they're few. And so the access to training as an actress is 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 small and so you develop your own kind of method in terms of what you need to do and I was fine with that but my life really changed or my perspective of acting changed obviously when I went to train for it Mm. Um, I always knew that I wanted to train and I always say because there are a lot of people that are that tell me that you know art is one of those things that you don't necessarily have to get training for you you know if you if you have it you have it you know and um you can that's how you can do it and and again i would be extremely arrogant to say that training is the only way because that's not true there's so many actors directors writers that don't have a day of training 
and they have created works of art and that's a hundred percent and totally okay i always wanted to go to school for it for it i just always wanted to go to school and train and when i trained um i always say in order to train it's also just about being around like-minded people. You want to put yourself in an environment where we don't have access yeah. to that day-to-day. If I'm an artist and I'm an actor and I'm trying to grow, uh, you know, I might come across creatives or right. artistic people, but am I working with them actively? Am I creating with them actively? In the real world, you're, you're not, you no. know? You're not. When you're in class, you're around like-minded people that are trying to achieve the same thing or grow in the same right. way. And I think that that helps any artist. Like you need to surround yourself with like-minded people and somebody and, and and people who not only see what you're doing and maybe are doing the same th- the same craft, but are in a position to support you in that. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Because especially in this um, world. Um, I've heard so many artists say, you know, my mom and dad or the people I went to school with just didn't understand. Mm -hmm. And but I knew that I had to do it. And once I got into school or I got on set or with, you know, whomever um, avenue that they went in, once they found their people, their Mm -hmm. group, everything just started clicking. Yeah. Because they realized that that was where they had to be. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So so you're 16. You get few great roles you're primarily more in pakistan oh i was in pakistan this whole time this whole time and Mm -hmm. so how did you make the leap from pakistan to united states Mm -hmm. and how how did that work because i'm I'm sure that that was not an easy no it's not easy i think well i think it's also because like i said as a child, I was in America, so I knew it existed. <laughs> you know, the, the the fictional land of America existed, um, and I think because I was exposed to the media as a child, just through being watching things, I always knew America existed. I knew that I could go back to it in some way. Getting back to it was hard because I wasn't a U.S. citizen, and uh, like I said, post nine eleven, everything changed in the world. Um, and we're feeling, you know, the repercussions of that even today. Um, but I always knew that I didn't feel a hundred percent myself in Pakistan. I always say in Urdu, there's a phrase, it means I'm not from here and I'm not from there. You know, that kind of happens with, you know, kids who move around a lot. Um, cause you're not sure where you a hundred percent belong. Um, so while I was in Pakistan, I knew that because uh, I was treated differently. I had a bit of a Western flair because my foundation had been made in the U.S. I didn't know Urdu. I had to learn it from scratch when I moved. So I started learning Urdu when I was maybe 10, 11. Um, so I always knew that I wanted to get back to the U.S. and to work here um, just because I felt like there were stories here I could tell that I might not be able to tell back home. Absolutely. Um, and it was, uh, I think it was 2010 or 2009, 2010, 2009. I don't remember, but, um, a British Pakistani director was visiting and he saw a play that I did. And after I, after that play, he contacted me about a film that he was doing. Now at the time in Pakistan, we didn't have films. We just didn't. Mm. Because we hadn't, like I said, we had a thriving industry 
prior to the 70s and in the 90s we it's i don't want to i want to correct that statement we did have films but they just weren't good right. and again like i said they weren't considered respectable and they, and they weren't legitimate yeah they, wasn't were, like, they were they, they were playing thing. at cinemas but they were again respectable families wouldn't go to watch gotcha you know what i mean they <laughs> just weren't good they were very they, they were hammy they were crass um, and like I said, there was always those item dance numbers where it's just thrusting women. Yep. So this, this, so we didn't have an industry that we were proud of or we could actively go and watch. Um, so this British Pakistani director came, his name's Hamad, Hamad Khan, and uh, originally from Pakistan but lived in the UK. Um, he had written a film and he wanted to direct and produce it and it was called Slackistan. And... Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> very Richard Linklater inspired. Um, he wanted to make this film, and so he contacted me. I think it was it was via again via social media at the time. This was back in the day when Orkut existed, and that's what he contacted me on. And uh, he said, "I want to, I'll you know, we'll do a screen test, etc." And so then he came to Pakistan and did the screen test. I got the part, and it was great because uh, you know a bunch of my friends also got the part. It was. It got their parts in the film. So it was it was the story of five um, fresh grads in Pakistan who come from the upper middle class to the elite. So there we are a tiny minority of the country um, and how a lot of these guys, especially in, in Islamabad, they will become ex- they'll graduate. They'll go to fancy colleges. But once they're done, they don't know what the fuck to do with it. They, they're just they have their they're they're slackers. Yeah. Right. Um, so Slackistan, because it was the first of its kind, it made a lot of waves internationally. Like I remember I, I was interviewed by BBC and radio stations in Australia. Like people were getting in touch. It, it blew up in a huh. way. And it was the first of its kind in Pakistan. Even in Pakistan, people were like, what is this? Who's making an independent film? That was unheard of, completely unheard of. Um, that didn't have all those crass yeah, yeah, items yeah. in it. That was just a story about these five kids, right? You know, um, and like I said, it 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 got into a lot of international film festivals, um, and and the inf- it got into festivals here in America, and um, it got into a festival called the Abu Dhabi Film Festival, um, which was at the time um, they've closed down now. But at the time, it was massive. Like, when I mean massive, I mean they invested a shit ton. Um, They had all of the biggest names there. Like, while I was at the festival, everybody from uh, Clive Owen to Adrian Brody to... uh, Oh, my God. Why am I forgetting her name? Julia. No, not Julia. Damn. It'll come back to me. Oh, my God. She's so famous. I can't believe... She was in Silence of the Lambs, the new one. Um, uh, Redhead, a really famous actress. Oh, my God. I'm so stupid. I can't believe it. I'm totally, you're not stupid. Don't I'm worry. blanking on this woman right That's now. That's okay. There's so many names in the in- industry that it, it, I, I, I forget names all the time. Yeah, it, I don't know why. Because you see them as their character. Yeah, she was in Blindness. Blindness. Um, she was in, oh, my God, I can't believe it. She's so she's so gorgeous too. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> it's gonna bug the shit out of me. Hold on, let me tell you. <laughs> I won't be able to move on until I know That's all right. what That's this all right. person's name is. But yeah, it was a, a huge festival. Um 
and our movie got into it and um what was really cool about it was the fact that like i mean i remember our film was in competition with an adrian brody film that was that was that was weird and crazy mm. um but that was the first time julianne moore there we go there we go yes. Yeah. yes yes so julianne moore was there <laughs> <laughs> and like i got to see these people up front in real life this was right. the first time and to me it was not just about seeing them up front and real i wasn't seeing them as a spectator i was there with them because my film was there their films were there and my film was you there. were on an equal footing yeah. in some cases in yeah some way. exactly yeah. like yeah. we were on the same red carpet walking in and that just blew my mind right mm. because I was, I, I was you know this was the first time i'd been abroad in this way for a film festival and being again coming back to the idea it wasn't about the you know the festival was very glamorous but it wasn't about the glam that was that really got me it was being in these rooms with again like-minded people mm -hmm. who understood film yeah. who understood storytelling who wanted to pursue it who had the same zest and also were at a high level yeah. of that yeah and yeah. that's very hard to get to i mean you can find people who love film all, all the time yeah. but finding it at that level level yeah that's a different that's different feeling yeah yeah i mean man it was amazing i met matt reeves I, uma thurman was there it was just like chaos yeah so why did it why, why is it not around anymore the festival yeah well i think the festival ended a few years after that because it was just so expensive <laughs> oh. I, I think it was an extremely expensive festival money talks um to keep running and i think the, the abu dhabi had its own festival but dubai had a separate festival i think they were just competing oh. it was just too much money to keep sustaining i mean i mean i remember it was it, the amount of money they invested into that thing was just ridiculous. I can just imagine. But I mean, again, the more important thing about that festival was, and just the general exposure that the film got was just the, the, the affirmation to myself that I wasn't a little girl in Pakistan that was disconnected, you know, that there was more out there. And, um, and that before this film, I felt like making a film seemed like a gargantuan task that was only for the masters. Mm. And I realized it's not. It's about getting up, getting a camera, and it just really, doing it. It really is. You know, you just get up and do your own, you know, thing. The film itself was banned in Pakistan, so it it didn't make sense. How fitting. Yeah. <laughs> the censor board did not approve of it. You can't make jokes about the Taliban. You can't say the word lesbian which my character says in the film mm. and the context was this, I'm here talking to mm -hmm. my best friend about my boyfriend and um, he's being a complete dick. So my character says to my best friend, I'm like, Oh, I should have been a lesbian. And then we laugh and that's a uh -huh. problem. That is um, big. No, no, but not then, allowed. Yeah. After that, I, uh, I was like, okay, let me figure this out. And um, I applied to film school Good. right after that um keeping that momentum keeping yeah, that like yeah at the time i was on the radio in pakistan i had a radio show it was a primetime show oh. i was on the show uh 5 to 7 p.m for four days a week mondays to thursdays um so i was already doing things like i was on the radio and uh, i had just opened with um this very dear friend of mine a community space 
in in Islamabad for the arts because like I said we didn't have a lot of venues like that where you could just get up open mic things or or talk about things or do performances or shows um so I was very heavily invested in in the radio and that at the time but I felt the sudden urge to also study film because like I said I'd been acting but I wanted the autonomy and the power to be able to create as well I didn't just want to be an actor that just sat around and waited because I especially in Pakistan I knew there wasn't much to wait around for at the time right because it's not like it had a thriving industry that I wanted to actively be a part of it back then um so I actually applied I was supposed to come to the New York Film Academy here um but my visa got rejected twice so I didn't end up going to the New York Film Academy um but I remember coming back from my visa rejection being extremely depressed and just I just googled film schools in the world uh recklessly and uh a school showed up in Cape Town South Africa and I said fuck it I'll apply and I applied and I got in and it's probably one of the most fortuitous serendipitous things that could have happened mm. because uh being in Cape Town to study filmmaking changed my life I'm sure it's also beautiful there oh man I can yeah, I I've never been, but I everything everything I see from there, I'm like, oh my god, that looks beautiful. No, no, no. I've always said that the moment I get my hands on a certain amount of money, I will buy myself an apartment in Cape Town, and regardless of how big it is, small it is, I don't care. I'll Airbnb that shit all year long. <laughs> but like, as long as I have a place to go to in Cape Town, um, yes, obviously I have an emotional connection. But yes, it is absolutely yeah. it's stunning. Um, all right, so you've 16, got <laughs> Slackistan, mm-hmm. put yourself on a bigger stage internationally, went to Cape Town to study film. Um, you came here to the East Coast after that, right? So I mean, after, it's been so back and forth. Yeah, I mean, after, mo- after, like most actors are. After 2012, when I studied film in South Africa, um, that was the year my father died, so I had to move oh, back to Pakistan. I'm sorry. Um, and in 20, around that time, I got an offer to work for a TV show in Pakistan. It's called Coke Studio. Um, it's Coca-Cola. It's a Coca-Cola sponsored music show, mm-hmm. um, where they basically take uh, the idea is pairing huge musicians with uh, con- with folk or traditional colors so whether mm. that's pairing them with a uh, traditional musician or, or a folk musician or having the the contemporary play or perform something that is more eastern or traditional that's what the show is about and it's huge in in our part of the world it, it started in pakistan and then it grew and into other markets it's mm. in india it's in uh, it was in South Africa. It's growing. In, it's it's a huge thing now in that part of the world. So I got an offer to work for them in production based off of a, a short film thing that I made in film school. Um, so because my father just died, um, we had applied for my mother's green card because, like I said, my brother was a U.S. citizen and he was in the U.S. at the time. So we figured we're just going to pack her up and send her off to the states because there was nothing left for her in pakistan at the time it wasn't i want to be clear it's not specifically because my father died she wasn't that dependent but at the time we had a a few 
domestic troubles with our home. We had two home invasions. It was pretty brutal. It was just time to go. Yeah, exactly. It. it was just everything. It, everything was kind of lining up. Yeah, in a way. yeah. Um, so we basically decided we'll just apply for her green card, have her move. And at the time, I didn't think I would apply for a green card because uh, in order to get a green card through my sibling, it would be the processing time was up to like 15 years. And I was like, I'm not going to say, yeah, I was like, I'll figure uh, out, I said, oh I'll gosh. figure out another way to do this. Um, but I started working for this TV show and what was, what was really great about it was I was working in production, um, and I got, and we filmed it in seven countries. So I got to travel. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I got yeah. to travel to a bunch of countries, um, and interview musicians from across the globe. Yeah and uh create for them and create music in different parts of the globe and so it was a fantastic that's amazing yeah it worked out like 2013 was amazing i got to work with the best musicians of my country and i got to work with musicians across the globe so that was really cool um but because of during that time i ended up saving a lot of money and when i was done with the season because it's a tv show so it works by season Mm -hmm. when i was done with the season the question was like do i want to stay here what do i want to do and i'd saved up enough money to apply to school because before that i couldn't so i yeah i sorry after the film school right so i was like okay let me try america again i had a weird relationship with america because i'd been rejected twice you know so i was like i don't know if I don't know. And, but I told myself, okay, apply, Just do you know. it. Just do it. So I applied, I got in, uh, to, so I went, to, it, it's the Lee Strasberg theater and film Institute. Okay. Yeah. And ever since I was a child, I wanted to go. Um, so I got in and I was like, okay, but again, getting in is not enough for a no. Pakistani. You have to get that visa. Right. Cause what's the point. Right. Um, so I went and I applied for my visa and I got it this time. And, yeah i remember yeah. just yeah i took it as a huge sign i was like because again if you get a visa that means you're going like right. take that sign and run yeah, with it it means it. you're supposed to go so uh i got the visa hmm. so it was in 2014 and finally when i when i came to america to train i was on a student visa so that meant i couldn't work legally or anything like that um so at the i trained for a year at Strasbourg, and then after that I had the option of staying on for another year to do a, a two-year conservatory versus a one-year conservatory. Um, and the two-year conservat- conservatory eventually turns into something that is called an OPT, which basically means that you can stay in the country for an additional year, um, but you can, and you can work as an actor, but it's very limiting in terms of, there's a lot of regulations around it. Um, so I figured, okay, do I want to spend more money studying a second year and going down that path? Or do I want to apply for my O one? Now your O one is what This is all technical stuff now. Yeah, yeah. They call it an artist visa. That's basically the colloquial term for it. But if you Google it, I'm not even kidding. It literally says it's a visa for individuals with extraordinary ability. So uh, yes. it's not I, I'm, sorry. Yeah. I'm, Correction. Let's be honest about what Americans call us. They don't call us individuals. They call us aliens. So it's yes. for aliens with extraordinary yeah, yeah, ability. Yeah. I I'm, I'm, I actually have a lot of um, experience with this because I used to be a ballet dancer. Well, I still am, mm-hmm. um, just in a different way now. Um, and in many ballet companies that I was with, I had many you know coworkers who were from. Mm-hmm everywhere in the united Mm -hmm. states and they were always always fighting this 
visa battle and getting these different types of documentation oh, so yeah. that they could stay in the States. I remember dating somebody and one of the main reasons why she went home was because her visa ended. And that's just a reality for a ton of people, not just artists yeah. in this country. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's it's actually kind of a miracle that you've been able to be here this long. Yeah, yeah. Doing what you love to do. Yeah, and especially after facing rejections from oh, the country yes. that tell you that, like, no. No, you can't come here. But the O one, one like, it is a process. You have to build a case. So I knew that I couldn't do that in America because I needed, you have to apply through a lawyer. It's not cheap. Right, no. You know, so. You need money to exactly. do this. So I had to go back to Pakistan and take on a project um, that year. I, I remember I saved up. I needed basically $10,000 in order to make this entire thing work. Mm -hmm. And so I took on a project that paid me exactly that. And I said, okay, it's paying me $10,000. That's what's going to go for it. And uh, yeah, I applied through a lawyer here in the U.S. Um, you have to build a case for your O one. You have to oh, prove yeah. your stuff. You have to prove that you're legitimate in what you do. Um, but yeah, it took me, I think, six months to just build the case. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I applied. And again, you can apply for this whole thing and you might not get it. Right. So you might have spent yep. all that money and they would just not give it yeah, to you. But, but it's, it's just like so many things in the entertainment industry. You might make a great screenplay. You might put time and effort into this passion project and it will just, no. Mm, no, we no. don't have it. Yeah, yeah, it's not for us or yeah. it's not going to make us what we yeah, think. Yeah. But yeah, a the final move to the U.S. was 2016 when gotcha. I got my visa Good. and I was allowed to move here. Um, the O-1 has a stipulation that it's it's a three-year-long mm -hmm. visa. And then after that, you can extend it. And it eventually leads down to a green card. But it's like you have to extend yeah. it and you have to keep proving yourself is yeah. my point. You have to keep proving yeah. it. But if in that time, I started dating my husband, who is an American citizen, and then we got married, and then I got my green card in June of last yeah. year. So now, after all <sighs> this time, I finally feel like I'm a human being that doesn't have to be worried about, you know, yeah. getting kicked out. And even that, depending on the, you know, the current administration, you, you never, never know, know, right? You never know what's going to happen next. So the moral of the story is uh, marry a citizen. Um, good. All right, noted. Main takeaway. Per Main takeaway. Perseverance doesn't matter <laughs> as much when it comes to politics and governments. So talking about takeaways, so I, I always ask my guests uh, a couple questions, mm -hmm. if you will. Um, what is, you know, with since you've been to so many countries in so many different ways, um, both in a bureaucracy as well as just visiting artistically. Um, what is one thing that you see in the uh, entertainment industry that you wish could be changed or you would like a different approach to? Here in America? Um, it's a tough question, I, guess, I know. I guess what I'd want to see changed is... I understand the systems and why they're in place, but I think I would, I think I would change just how we're perceived, I guess. Um, you mean? In this kind of cookie cutter kind of way. Okay. You know, I think that at least one of my struggles 
being here is definitely a lot of acting is based off at least in film and tv mm-hmm. it's based off of your headshot right it's basically based off of yep. what you look like um and uh a lot of times they don't care about anything beyond that you know yeah do you look the part yeah that's the first that's thing. that's kind of it do you look the part and uh, you know don't get me wrong i direct so i understand the idea of fitting somebody's vision or somebody's thing do you want to turn that off is that gonna get in your way no, I think we should be all right. Okay. It's okay. I mean, I can always turn it off. I think that like... We can do it through your phone. The Nest app. Look yeah. at you. Um, Such a sophisticated person. So sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> or lazy. Either way. Yeah. Stop it. Stop it. Um, um, I think like... I think it's more about just perception because... Um, I don't mind the systems as much because it's, it is a full industry and you need to have some systems in place. But I wish that, like, I could just change the perception of a narrative in the sense that if I look a certain way, then the presumption is that these are the parts I'm going to go for or these are the parts that I will be accepted into. It's not even it's not more it's it's more about what people will allow me to be versus what I want to be, you know, and and I think that's a little annoying and frustrating because, um, you know, I get this all the time in America specifically that I don't look um ethnically pakistani but that doesn't mean i shouldn't have access to pakistani roles because they because they're going off of their narrative right and the narrative here is like if you are pakistani you must be darker skinned you must be shorter you probably have your head covered you know that sort of thing which is bullshit you know it's bullshit um i don't know anybody in pakistan that covers their head it's not to say that they don't it's just again you need nuance right and it's a perception from outside yeah. yeah, and and you know that that's unfortunate. I think um, a lot of times we we in in the entertainment industry we look at somebody from the Middle East, even though it's a very vague mm-hmm. term. We kind of assimilate that with all right hijab or you know we 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 have a certain image of that without here doing in the any further research. Without, exactly, exactly, and so um, you know I, again, you understand why certain things are put in place and why things happen you just want a little more um authenticity with how they're showing and also just kindness i think because Ah. (laughs) there's so much in this industry that i understand is time sensitive everyone's like audition in and out or like you're meeting somebody in and out and like especially when you're auditioning or you're or you're networking you know i've realized like especially for us actors they expect us to just come in do this thing with full emotion and then just leave right yeah. they and and i and it's i don't want to shit on the me- the mechanical nature of uh, of it completely because i understand the need to, that if you're an actor you need to be able to deliver efficiently yeah i understand the efficiency yeah. of it but i wish that people were just kinder and nicer about it and understanding that while there is a mechanical side to it actors are also actively being asked to be emotionally vulnerable you know we have vulnerable it's it's the weirdest industry where they expect us to have the thickest skin possible but to be completely soft and vulnerable inside Mm -hmm. and and it's hard because a lot of times in order to be vulnerable and 
and and and take on those kind of emotions that you're required to present in an audition um you, you kind of have to show trauma or yeah, be traumatized absolutely. in some micro way yeah. um, or take from something that was very traumatic and mm -hmm. it's very hard to kind of turn it on turn it off in any circumstance yeah and like i said i i think that's a balance that we as actors or artists also need to figure out because again when it comes to fast-paced things like t television yeah. sets where they're you know you get hired to do something they want you to come and deliver and then go right and let's say the scene is something extremely traumatic yeah you know you need to have the the professionalism to come and deliver that that extremely traumatic event and then leave yeah. right but i think when it comes to the rooms or the people who are who are making these decisions in terms of which actors to let in which ones i just wish that there was a little more consideration and kindness about you're asking artists and you're asking human mm -hmm. beings and to these rooms yeah. and i mean I, I think another thing i would I don't know how one would change, but cities like New York City where, you know, they're known, the reputation is to be the golden home for, for artists, right? Yeah. Um, but, but they've made it so that artists cannot live there. Yes. So yes. it's like, why pretend to be the home for artists, but if artists themselves cannot afford to live in New York City, that's just hypocrisy. Right. You know, it's like you can't have it that way. It's like you can't promise us, you, you know, where we will take you and we will help you. And you know, I think I think that reputation of New York is also just a thing of the past. You know, maybe it was that in the 70s or 80s, but not today. Right. I, I know too many artists that have quit because of it. And, and I know that a lot of times that there's this kind of... Um, uh, uh, mentality that oh so and so has a very is a trust fund kid so they're able to pay mm -hmm. for a condo in Soho so that they can be around and you know go to every single audition they need to or so and so um, has a lot of money and so that's the only reason why they get to stay in this business and you know there is a level of truth to that but um, I'm a firm believer in empathy and that we all have our own thing that we deal with. We all, we, we all kind of have our own shit that we have to push through in order to get to another level. Because mm -hmm. I know a lot of people who have had a very easy way to go into auditions, but they didn't have it or they didn't have that thick skin or they couldn't convey certain emotions. Mm -hmm. And it, it's very hard, um, e even, even when everything is seamlessly easy for yeah. an artist um it's still extremely difficult um yeah but you know we still love it and speaking about loving it what is something in the industry that you can't live without or something something that you just you can't find anywhere else well i definitely think at least when it okay so in theater what i love about theater is the dramaturgy I love because theater allows a conversation. So it, it feels like when you go for rehearsals because of the dramaturgical aspects of it, you definitely feel like you have the time to sit down and have a conversation. And there's a, there's, if you have the right director, there's a lot of trust in theater where, you know, the director comes in to have a conversation with you and you're exploring these amazing ideas or concepts that come from the material, which come from, 
the actual work and then you're putting that into your own work so it's an enlightening thing you know it'll it it forces your brain to exercise muscles that it doesn't do on a day-to-day basis because life is just life right um things are happening to us in life but we're not internalizing it and expressing it take a lot of of that for granted and then to actually sit down and kind of map it all together and say oh i have i i actually process so much more than what i've ever thought possible yeah absolutely and you have to convey that to an audience yeah so I love exploring that in the theater. When it comes to film or when it comes to just anything digital these days, um, I would say I really enjoy just, I love editing. So I like, that's one of the things I was double majoring in. Um, so like if, if we were on set, I'm definitely the person that enjoys, there are different types, right? Like there's some people that love sets. They just love it. They love the filming. They love that part. I love the editing. I love piecing things together. There's something magical about piecing a story together to me that is exciting and fun. Um, so I definitely love that part um, as a director, as a storyteller. I like seeing that bit. Pre and, you know, actual production is... Pre is actually intimidating to me, but that's because that's the planning. Um, but and so much of the planning goes out the window once you actually start yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you plan with the best of intentions. Um like I said I have a lot of production experience especially as a production manager. So you plan with the best intentions, you put everything on paper. And it's not to say that your preparation is not useful. It's definitely useful. It's Absolutely. definitely good to keep you on task. But um yeah, on set it's it's a different energy it's a different vibe yeah. um there's an excitement around it no less i mean absolutely yeah. you know the, the cameras are out right cameras are out Lights and camera action yeah, let's go let's, let's go. go so there's there is that excitement about it but um the the person that i am i'm the sucker for like now that we have all the footage what are we doing behind closed doors what are we right. setting the mood setting yep. the tone i think that's where the magic for me comes through mm. of creating something cool very cool. Um, uh, I'm trying to rack my. There's, there's just so much that we could talk about. Um, before we leave, are there any like real nuggets of advice or wisdom that you would like to give? Let's say a um, a younger actor or somebody else in the field. Well, I think like uh, you know talking about what I was saying earlier about how my perception of acting changed once I started training. Um, because like I said before that I had my own method, but when I went to school, I realized, you know, um, and again, I always say, and we know this, that every artist has their own approach and yes. it's all valid. Whatever gets you the result, yeah. right? Whatever gets you there. All roads lead to Rome yeah, yeah, kind I, of situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's totally okay. But one thing I realized, um, especially at Strasbourg, cause they focus very heavily on the method and on Stanislavski and bringing yourself to the room. Um, the the whole notion of you having to become someone else or you having to become another character this is a different human being um now through schooling like my approach is different it's you and it ties back to the idea of empathy that no character is too foreign because if you can bring yourself to that character that's where what'll take you there It, it just takes a dose of empathy so whenever I take a role on, whenever I take a character on, I look at it as not this other human being that I have to embody. It's more about what about this character 
can I tie back to myself? What about this character? What is this character going through that I've experienced? Because if I can bring the reality of what my life has brought to that mm-hmm. character, then to me, the character becomes real. Wow. Yeah. So it's not me putting on someone else's glove. It's me. It's 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 me in those circumstances, but bringing myself um, to those circumstances. So mm-hmm. for me, it's 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 and you know one could argue, but like, but you know, what if you're a vivacious human being, but you have to play somebody shy, and then I have to say, but I felt shy in life. Yeah. I know what that's like. Yeah. I know what it's like to feel shy. I know what it's like to feel traumatized. I know what it feels like to be silly. Yeah. I know what it feels like. At least I would hope so. Yeah. You know? You know? And because cause here's the thing, like, you know, I remember discussing this with my, with one of my acting teachers. I said, you know, but I'm not like that in real life, right? Like if, if, mm. the, if it's about me bringing myself, I'm not like that in real life. And then he, he said, and he was very right when he said, he said, you might not be that in real life but you've thought it yeah. you felt it right the feeling has happened to you a lot of times you, you know you're in your head you're like i was in this argument with somebody and i wanted to say something but i didn't in i was in polite public so i didn't say it but you felt it you thought yeah. it the theater or acting allows us to take that internal feeling and bring it out right so it's still real even if you mm. even if you argue that i'm not like that in real life you still are feeling it right and that to me is where things changed as an actor because I realized that I'm bringing the reality of myself to these characters. It's not, um, you know, the, with acting specifically, you're creating um, reality out of imaginary circumstances. That's basically what it is. But the how you do that is by bringing the reality of yourself to the character. Um, so I think that's an important takeaway in terms of the method to your approach and i think the biggest takeaway is always i always tell people it's about perseverance it's about always asking and i never felt any problems asking for help i always ask for help i never have any issues you because look somebody might help you somebody might not and that's okay that's totally okay at least you asked that's it and um so i never hold myself back from from extending help or asking for it yeah um and just don't and it's such a cliche but it's so true just don't stop yeah just don't stop you don't know where you're gonna end up right and you don't know when your moment is gonna be that will change the the the, your your trajectory yeah and along that trajectory your perception or ideas of success may change exactly that's okay that's okay they can and they should change because your circumstances will change i'm very different to than the 16 year old you know what i mean yeah you know the direction might be the same but what i consider success today is very different Mm. you know i've lived Mm. life yeah you know so i'll live life shahana where can people find you if they want to instagram 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 mainly because like that's what i mainly use so it's at of shahana john that's literally of shahana john like people think it's a tie-in to handmaid's tale Mm. because all the names there start with an of but no it's literally because shahana john was taken so shahana john who's out there thank you for taking my handle and i had to make it of shahana john it's okay but, but that's that what is, that is where I'm most people. active. Yeah. I'm very active actually on it. Um, that's where I put myself out there. I create content all the time on it. Um, just as a, just as another creative outlet because yeah. as artists, like again, you can't sit around and wait and we live in the digital age where we're allowed 
and we have the means yeah. and resources to create. And, and also, I would argue that, especially if you're an actor or somebody in the entertainment industry, it's good to have a, a healthy presence on social media because mm-hmm. because yeah. people look at that. I actually was told by a few casting directors that they look at your headshot, they look at your resume, and then they go straight to your Instagram. Exactly. They will go there. Yep. And th- when I realized that, I was like, oh, man. Oh, man. I need to make my Instagram look a certain way. Pressure's on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I also wanted to stay authentic to who I am, and I didn't want it to be just a stream of pictures of myself. So now I try... I Last year, I started actively like balancing it out and trying to make it... At any given moment, here's a picture of me, but then here's a picture of something I care about. Yes. And then here's a picture of me, and yes. then here's something yes. I care about. Yes. So I try to balance it out like that. Don't pander to other people like we said in the very beginning just you know know that they're there and just have fun with it and and, you know it's okay not everyone is for you and you're not for everybody exactly you know and that's okay i always say that you don't walk into a classroom expecting everybody to like you no way that's not possible Well, Shahana, thank you for letting me crash on your couch. Of course, Cameron. Uh, You're always welcome to crash on my couch. (laughs) And, um, yeah, all the best with everything. Likewise. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you got any value from this, please share with a friend and make sure to subscribe so you can listen to every new episode. All right. Have a great day.